dun, 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 you are dun, dun, okay. I'm not going to do this podcast anymore if you keep schooling me. It's not that I'm schooling you; it's that I'm taking you to church. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Beyond the Bulletin, your favorite podcast. Right now, I just leapt into it to force me and Steven to come up with a topic to talk about. Steven, what are we talking about today? Uh, I don't know, but I just like the fact that I can jump on this podcast without having made any prior decision of what we're going to talk about, and it just evolves. It just happens. It just happens, which mm-hmm. means Jay has to do a lot of editing. <laughs> it's all true. God bless the editors. They make us sound amazing. I want to talk a little bit about the awfulness that was January. Yeah. The awfulness. We oh lost. We lost Kobe. Dude, we lost Kobe. Okay, all right. I haven't really. I have not admitted this to anyone, but I'm going to admit it to you. Just us two, right here. Just us two. I have on more than one occasion cried over the death of Kobe. Really? Yes. That intense. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just. Here's the thing. He was not a perfect character. We all know this, right? Um, He has his history and his past. But like, what a story of like mercy and redemption, and like how the, his Catholic faith impacted him and got him through some of his darkest times, and then to find out that he died on a Sunday after attending mass that morning with his daughter at their parish um, in California was just—it was just a lot. It was a lot to take in as a father. It was a lot to take in as someone who played basketball in high school at the height of Kobe's career. And so all these tributes have come out and, uh, and they're of course, they're like overly emotional. And it's been funny though. The ones that have like kind of caught me off guard as I've watched them that have kind of like, but like, there was one, like I had to like close the door to my bedroom because I didn't want my boys to like see me crying and like wondering why, because it just like, it was one thing I wasn't like looking for it and it like popped up on my Twitter feed and I was like, Oh, here, let me go see this. And I clicked on it and like, I was a mess. I was legitimately a mess because, again, he was such a good father um, to his to his daughters. And then uh, the way he gave back to his community and the way, you know, he was a Knight of Columbus. A lot of people don't realize that Kobe was a Knight of Columbus. Yeah, a devout Catholic. His Catholic faith uh, during the rape trial and subsequent um, civil settlement that he paid out. um, It was his Catholic faith that saved his marriage. And, and he shared it in a GQ interview, I think. Yeah, and in doing that, because he had a, some frank conversations with um, a priest is that, uh, what was the line he said? Um, in the GQ magazine, he said um, he decided to shed some superficiality he felt he had built up in his public persona. What I came to understand coming out of Colorado, which is where the incident was, um, uh, where it happened, is that I had to be me in the place where I was at the moment. And so we went to a priest to deal with all this thing. The one thing that really helped me during the process, I'm Catholic. I grew up Catholic. My kids are Catholic, was talking to a priest. And uh, and the priest is pretty awesome. Did you hear what the priest said to him? Yeah. He looked at him and said, did you do it? And I said, of course not. Then he asked, do you have a good lawyer? I'm like, yeah, he's phenomenal. So he said, let it go, move on. God's not going to give you something you can't handle. And it's in his hands now. And the unique thing about that is um, when we're talking about these things, Kobe has, from the beginning, maintained his innocence. He said it was consensual, but it was still an affair. Right. Right. And so from that point, um, that's where I started hearing things like they were in town. The Lakers were in town playing playing um, the Rockets, and they would see Kobe 
before the game at um what's the chapel immaculate conception downtown Mm -hmm. and they would just see him sitting in the dark praying and going to mass and all that stuff that he had these churches that he would go to and there's things that wake you up to the false reality of yourself i mean being wealthy and a superstar at such a young age at such a young age if you've ever seen that espn um 30 for 30 broke you have all these nfl players who have nothing after and medical bills after five six years of playing professional sports they have nothing to their name. They're all broke. They're working at used car dealerships because, I mean, imagine being 19, 20, 21 years old and someone gives you like $600,000 a year. You know, if, if these people have zero skills and, and, and they tell you how great you are all the time. Right. Right. And it's just it's just horrific. Yeah. So I, so I, his whole story just really kind of moved me again, yeah. how, how he kind of came out of uh, that whole situation. And of course with with those accusations he didn't like he admitted that he was in the wrong for the affair part of it like yeah. he owned up to how complicit he was in that part of it he just denied that you know that yeah. it was a uh, someone asked him why would you pay her a settlement if you didn't believe it was truly a sexual assault you say it was consensual and so he released a statement about that because he was being attacked for like well oh if you really think you're innocent he said i maintain that it was consensual right but obviously i've come to realize she did not she didn't view it that way and so for all the horribleness and pain that she's had to go through that's why i wanted to do this settlement and i think that's powerful Mm -hmm. i do i really really do he is the guy that all the current guys playing looked up to and got them into the game and when you start to see things like this and then you see like his whole life enters into this period of deep and profound suffering and the suffering is used to refine him. Right. That is what suffering is supposed to do for us as Christians. I just think of like these things that are that come up in our lives. Cancer diagnoses. One of my friends, his wife, just received, you know, stage four cancer diagnosis. And I said, you know, when I finally was able to touch base with him a month later, I said, What's going on? He said, You know, the thing that shocks me about my wife is how heroic she's taking everything. Yeah. And you start to see these things that suffering for all that we hate about it still brings out either the very best or the very worst in us. And that's kind of the point of a refiner's fire. It burns away the impurity if you let it. I don't want to suffer. No one wants to suffer. But when suffering comes, I mean, think about it. The people in your life that you admire the most had adversity in their life. There's a Jewish proverb. He who has not suffered, what could he possibly know? Mm. And I think about that. Yeah. I think about that all the time when I'm in the prison. I just, I, by the way, I just gave yeah. you the, the, mm, like the. You did. Yeah. The little hand raise. <laughs> mm. Mm. Like we were in prison and one of the guys is talking. Mm. Yes. Yeah. On the Colby retreats, they do that when yeah. you're talking. It's weird. I was in the middle of giving a, <laughs> I was in the middle of giving a talk there and I was like preaching, going full preacher mode and guy goes, blah, 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 and I couldn't hear him. He's yelling from the back. Yeah. And I thought he was yelling at me and I stopped and I go, what? And he goes, preach it, preach it, brother, preach yeah. it. It's just beautiful to see people who suffer well. Yeah. It's transformative to see them. And again, I'm not saying you should go out and seek suffering or the Catholic church says, you know, ooh, baby, hurt so good. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is <laughs> that suffering will come. You cannot avoid it. And when it comes, God will use it for your betterment. But we don't want that. We don't. I mean, St. Paul, you, you can't get anywhere in St. Paul's letters without the concept of suffering being front and center. 
It's true. And you know, what's funny, we, we showed it at our uh, staff meeting at our staff meeting today. Um, the, I, I think it was the best Super Bowl commercial this year was the New York life, um, Super Bowl commercial where they went through the different, uh, the four different types of love that the, that the ancient Greeks talked about. Uh, the, the fourth type being of course, agape, which they highlighted as the most important. And they even kind of which is so not normal when you think about like modern marketing and advertising. Like I think that the New York life, if you haven't seen it, what an awesome, it was such a great commercial for the 2020 Super Bowl. Like look it up. It was kind of like the, the God made a farmer commercial in terms of uh, value in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, It it really just kind of highlighted that it's okay uh, that suffering is not a bad thing. That it's an opportunity to love people in the greatest type of love, which is agape love. I was blown away by it. Actually. I was like, wait. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it's an interesting, insurance commercial yeah that is talking about love in all of its many different stages of life and they talk about uh philia love the love of friendship storge love the love of they said like the love you would have for a grandfather or a brother which is interesting because literally philia means brotherly um <laughs> but i digress my Greek yeah checklist. they didn't hire you for the commercial fair enough fair <laughs> enough and then eros which is erotic love right the love that pulls you out of yourself draws you to another Right. Um, And we always, of course, think of it as physical love, sexual love, all that stuff. But it it can be much more than that. Right. And then but and then it it like dot, dot, dot. But the ultimate kind of love and it shows like a man lowering his it seemed to me an elderly, an elderly man lowering his even more elderly like father or brother down into a bathtub. And and um, and as someone who had to do that for his own grandfather, my grandfather was uh, a Navy veteran of World War Two self-sufficient work three jobs his whole life you know all this stuff he was an amazing man and i remember he had to go to the bathroom it was the middle of the night and i had just walked in yeah. from a bar and uh i was young adult days <laughs> wow this is a scene you are painting <laughs> yeah so i walk in and i'm just crashing at my parents house because i had an event and all these things and i walk in and i see him and he's stumbling around the dark he, he struggled a lot with dementia and um i walk over and he's like I need help to go to the bathroom. I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Pops. And I take him into the bathroom and he just, he's going to the bathroom. I have to stay there with him. And he just looked at me with like tears in his eyes. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no problem. No problem. It's fine. It's fine. No problem. Like, stop. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But for him, he felt yeah, that like the uncomfortableness, all the stuff, and all I was ultimate humility for such a strong individual. Yeah. But that is how, love is revealed not in the love that mutually gratifies but ultimately in the love that asks a sacrifice of you even yeah suffering. I, and you know what's weird about that i had that exact same experience with my grandfather who's a world war ii veteran did he were you coming back from a bar too no he, no. <laughs> no no it was adoration i'm holier than you uh, <laughs> it was adoration. yeah no 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 he was he was actually already in the hospital at that mm-hmm. point it was towards the end of his life but it was the same situation. I had to help him, you know, and I had my mom step out of the, the room so that I could help him to use a restroom. And, um, and I was his youngest grandson and, and it was just such a, a, a weird moment, um, at the time. And then like looking back on it, what a beautiful moment. And I think that, um, you know, there are so many times in today's world, I, I think of the, the word secular, right? We live in a secular society. If you are living a secular life, you kind of aren't living it for eternity, Um, but when we enter into someone else's suffering, that's a generation ahead of us or two generations ahead of us or behind us or whatever it is, 
we're stepping outside of time. We're, we're entering into the eternal by entering into someone else's suffering, which is, oh, by the way, also Christ's suffering as well. Um, and that's a beautiful, beautiful concept and a beautiful opportunity that, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at sometimes people my own age. I'm kind of at that point right now. I just turned 33 and I'm seeing um, more and more on my like on Facebook and stuff like that which shows that I'm in my 30s because I'm still on Facebook, uh, <laughs> that a lot of my friends, their parents are dying, um, which is really a sad you know, first realization when you start to notice it more and more. Um, but I also know that like, I worry about some of these people that I grew up with because I also know the, the lifestyle they live. And I, and I wonder, you know, I, I can't make a judgment because I don't know, I've never been in their life, but I, I wonder, is this the first time they're enduring suffering like this and how are they going to take it? Or have they avoided suffering so much in their life that, that, that now like that time of reckoning has come? Because at some point we all deal with suffering. At some point we all deal with old age, whether that be our own old age or someone else. Um, and so has God, you know, God will be there for those people, but will they recognize that he's there in that yeah. suffering? Um, that's, that's a scary thing, I think, for our generation because I do think that there is – there's a reason why like – suicide and things like that are on you know have risen skyrocketed skyrocketed yeah with the younger generations and i think there is a fear of suffering because it's such a secular mindset it's like if i can't live these 100 years to the fullest then i'm out i'm 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 checking out so i guess the moral of the story is january was rough kobe never should have died his beautiful daughter we should be reading stories about her five years from now getting a full-time scholarship did you see video of her shooting and him shooting yeah she was gonna be in the WNBA. it is identical yeah it is incredible she was poetry in motion all right all right i can't i can't talk about kobe anymore i can't do it so what else was wrong with january we had it. Well, there's an impeachment trial going on. We're not getting into the details of that, but that's been depressing. No matter which side you sit on it from. Yeah, the whole thing is depressing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, just what else? I turned 33. Oh, that's oh, your Jesus year. Yeah, the year he died. Yeah, but you know he rose again too. Yeah, it's <laughs> fair. He did. He did. He did. Hey, can I tell you one good thing that happened in January? I need some more coffee. Go can I on. tell you one good thing about January? What? I took my wife on a vacation. Just the two of us. Good. You and I. Just the two of us. We went to <laughs> New York City. You ever been to New York City? Yeah, I've been there a few times. I have never been. Really? That I've was your first been. time? That was my first. You never hosted, you've never spoken at a Steubenville in New York City? Mm, no, I have not. And I'm very upset because I'm friends with the coordinator of it. And mm. she keeps promising me she'll bring me out. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, you used to be the coordinator of that. Yeah. From Life Team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I started that conference. So there's this, this guy, wonderful guy. With a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people involved. Yeah. This guy, Ryan Nolan, uh, or Nolan, wait, no. Nolan Reynolds, not <laughs> Nolan Ryan. Nolan Reynolds out in the wonderful diocese of, here's a fascinating thing, of Rockville Center in yes. Long Island. Yes, I'm very aware of this because when we did the conference up there, we had to get all three of those dioceses right there on board, even though we were only doing it. So we had to get Archdiocese in New York, Brooklyn, and Rockville Center all on board. Well, the funny thing is, it was fascinating. Deacon Mort, yeah, our very own Deacon Mort, is from the Rockville Center Diocese. He is. He's a Yankee. And uh, <laughs> Father Bruce, he is. And Father Bruce, who is a retired priest that's staying here, um, he is from the same diocese. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to your hometown. Now, this is how stupid I am. I didn't realize that Long Island was a very long island. It is aptly named. It is the length of Connecticut. I thought it was like a city. 
Okay, I don't feel bad about anything else I've said yes, prior to this right. on this on Absolutely. this podcast. I'm so ignorant. I feel much better about myself. I booked plane tickets to Newark and then a hotel in New York City, and then I Google mapped where what? I was supposed wait, to go. Wait, yes. wait, wait, wait. Yes. How much money did you waste on travel? Because have you ever gotten an Uber in New York? Oh no 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 no, my friend. See, you don't understand frugal Michael Gormley here. Okay. Right. I took a bus. I bust it from oh. Newark to Port Authority, walk to our hotel. You which are beneath was me. In Times Square, right. And <laughs> the Ubers uh, were 12 bucks, 10 bucks well, around I, Manhattan. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then to get into in the Long Manhattan, Island, I took a train. Okay, so when we were starting Superville in New York City, I had to go to an event up there prior to the conference starting with the youth of the Archdiocese of New York. So go out there. It was awesome. Cardinal uh, Dolan was there at whatever the seminary is in Yonkers mm -hmm. and anyone that's ever been to New York or is from New York that's listening to this is going to laugh. I took an Uber from the seminary in Yonkers to, oh gosh, where to, somewhere in, in like lower Manhattan or something like that. So it was the opposite side. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like, it was like an $80 Uber ride. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and you just didn't want to do the trains or subways. I or just anything. was by myself and I was like, I, cause I, like, yeah, I was not taking it. Look at me. I wouldn't survive in New York. <laughs> I am a gentle southern southern belle. <laughs> yeah. Although I did wear, uh, for a meeting up there, I wore my cowboy boots um, just because I wanted to, which, you know, that makes me, that takes me from 6'5 to 6'7. Yeah. Were and, you wearing shorts or jeans? Mm, chaps. Chaps. Okay. Uh, no, uh, jeans. And it was just a kind of a casual meeting, obviously. Uh, but they like could not get over the fact that I was wearing cowboy boots. Like it was so stereotypical for them. They could not handle it. It was awesome. Yeah. And uh, so I was walking through Times Square in said cowboy boots and people were asking to take a picture with me. Really? Yeah, because I think, well, there's so many people like that are like from around the world, right? And they're visiting yeah. Times Square, and it's like, oh my gosh, an American in cowboy boots. <laughs> and All our dreams are being fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> I charged them. Yeah, good. Uh, That's the deal, man. I went on a trip where all I had to pay for was my wife's plane ticket and the first night hotel. Yeah. And because I went on January 2nd, that's off season. The hotel prices, I paid a fifth of what it usually would have been, or a fourth. Yeah. It was amazing. Amazing. We were right across the street from where the ball dropped on New Year's Eve two days earlier. It was incredible. Right in the middle of Broadway, Times Square. Yeah. Walking distance. If you could, I mean, we walked a lot. We walked 14 miles the first day we were there. That's awesome. And then our legs stopped working. I was going to say, did you have good shoes on? Mm, I did. Hey, not to like pause on your vacation, which I'm sure everyone really cares about, uh, but I thought of something else really great that happened in January. What Our else? first parish food truck festival. That was awesome. My that was so it. much fun. My wife loved it. Uh, so that obviously kicked off the Horizon campaign. It was amazing because I don't think – we haven't really just had an event like that in a long time where it was just like go to Mass and then come out and let's just have – communio uh you know and hang out and let's not rush to our cars yeah. and let's not you know and people could eat the lines were a little bit long now i think if we ever do it again which uh we probably will we'll do more food trucks not less yeah. um but it was just such a great day of celebration and uh and i just wanted to say thanks to everyone who came out to that that was a lot of fun when we walked outside and saw the tent all the cool graphics everywhere mm-hmm um, I told all my RCI peeps who I meet with from 1015 to a, uh, 
1130 ish. I told them, I go, go get food if you can and bring it up to the classroom. Like we'll wait an extra 15 minutes. Some people were able to get food. Other people, the line was just way too long, but, um, it was awesome. I met my wife and she was over, um, she was over by the bouncy castle. Yeah. And my kids were just in heaven. And yeah. it was cool because it was chill, just yeah. like you were saying. It was chill. It was fun. People were there talking and smiling. And it honestly, this is the thing. And I'm going to say this. I think I said it last time, kind of like as an aside. But me and my wife have sat down. And we're going through a bunch of financial stuff lately. Yeah. Um, I just did a presentation on retirement for our parish staff. That's weird. Um, yes, it was. Go on. But informative. It was well done. Well Thank done. You. Thank you. Um, you give me 10 minutes, I'll give you a retirement package. You can, And you'll also take 15 or 20, but go on. Yeah, I did, didn't I? Uh, but um, so we're sitting there figuring this stuff out, and I start adding up all my charitable giving. So we fund a focus missionary. Uh, we fund Adore Ministries in Houston. You know, there are different things. There's an orphanage in the Philippines that a friend of mine um, – who lives in Sugarland? Um, he's affiliated with. He sits on the board and he flies out once a year. It is amazing the amount of good that is happening right. that we get to very easily today fund. Right, send twenty five dollars, twenty four dollars and seventy five cents goes directly to the ministry on the other side of the world. It's, right. it's incredible. Um, but when we started adding it up, this is the thing I realized, and I want your feedback on this. You realize how little you actually give when you yeah. don't plan to give. Yeah. And I added it up, and I was like, no, no, it has to be more than that. So then me and my wife were talking about it, and we are doubling our pledge to the capital campaign. Yay! Don't be – I mean, we pledged $100, uh, so we're doubling that. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, so – but the idea is – and that got us not, thinking – Sorry, not that $100 would be wrong. Yeah. We love $100. <laughs> we love $5. We love a penny. Yeah. Go on. But, uh, but we also love more. Yeah. But no, the, the idea behind it was it forced me to then say, wait a second, why don't we have this set up yeah. in PayPal? Why why do I not? Why have Push I pay. let Push Pay? Why did I say PayPal? I don't know. Um, why am I letting all of this, like this easy resource of taking 100 bucks a month out of my account without me feeling it or right. thinking about it? Like this and it is makes a easiest, huge difference to the, the parish. Easiest time to give. This yeah. is the best time to give. Yeah, uh, ever in the history of the world, like we have made it so easy to not even. It, it doesn't even hurt to give. We just oh, it's not even in our account. We just adjust. Right. And so, uh, so that that was a big awakening. Well, and you know, it's funny you bring that up. We had so my wife and I kind of had a similar conversation. We've actually um, we decided not only to uh, you know make a pledge to horizon but we also decided to increase our offertory our general offertory giving for two reasons one because we we're like we should um we can but two we're also thinking oh the offertory might be a little bit affected by horizon so we want to make sure that we're supporting yeah. that as well that's a really good point point. and uh it it was just it was really a cool experience for us to think about giving because um we're at a point in our life now where we can do that and we yeah. should do that Maybe not as much as we'd love to be able to, but we're able to do it. And so we actually were talking to our financial advisor, and he gave us a great idea. And I'm sure some of our parishioners have already done this in their own lives, but maybe you haven't. And so maybe this is for you that you know have never heard this. But he suggested, he said, you should set up a giving account for you, for the two of you. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, it's just a separate savings account, and it's where you put money away, you know, weekly or whatever, so that when you get that ask and something really tugs at your heart and you want to be able to have an impact – you can go to that giving account and 
you know, disperse it accordingly. Now you could, you could manage that account however you want. You could say, we're going to empty it out every year at the end of the year, or, you know, you could empty it out little by little, but always have a little bit of a base there so that when that big ask comes, it's, it's there. When the what? (laughs) The big ask. Okay. Really really emphasize that K. Uh, No. So uh, it's a great idea and I liked it. And I think my wife and I are going to look at doing that because we do get a lot of asks, especially being a former youth minister, right? Which is great because you see all these teens off doing amazing things and you want to be able to support as many of them as possible. So, yeah. And there's one thing that uh, I I don't know what they're called. It might be a charitable trust. I think that's a little bit different than the thing I'm thinking of, but there are accounts set up where in don't in putting money in that account, it is considered by the IRS as a donation because that money can only be earmarked for a charitable gift. So even if you don't know who you're going to give and you put it in that account, it'll still act as a, you know, give you the tax advantaged benefits of that. Um, But the other thing is about having money. Do you live to spend on yourself? Obviously we all have needs, home, shelter, you know, food, water, clothing, transportation, all that stuff. Our kids, if we have kids, but then it starts getting out wider. And then the question is, am I, am I a saver or a spender? Right. That's the traditional like two categories. But the funny thing is with either savers or spenders it's still all about spending money on you just whether you're going to spend a little now or a lot later with after you're investing so then the question becomes as christians what does christ tell us to do with our money and a third category of giver has to be just as important as the saver within you the spender within you and the giver within you and um it's things like i said this at the last episode the capital campaign forces me i don't know about y'all but it forces me to reprioritize my finances right? because I have to fund this thing because I see how both the new chapel and the multipurpose building, I see how that would change how stuff happens on campus. Yeah. And And St. Mary's seminary rebuilding that downtown. Yeah. And the, you know, all all the stuff, all the stuff. But at the end of the day, it affects me as an individual because I realize out of my own insecurities, I white knuckle my cash money Yeah, and I don't need to, I don't. It's been interesting for me um, and I have to be careful, right? Cause I, you know, am the keeper of the knowledge of what's going on, but, um, you know, you always say this Gomer, I think you said it on the last podcast, like God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Oh my gosh. And that I've tried to like, remember that in my own life so much since I heard you say it, but it's been interesting because, um, you know, we've had majority cheerful givers, yeah. um, in every campaign we've ever done. And, it's amazing to me, like, you know, some of the people that have walked through my door with a pledge for this campaign and and shared some of their background and their history or their life story with me. And like, again, uh, apparently I'm weepy between Kobe and that because <laughs> some of it is like literally brought me and, yeah. and other people to tears. Yeah. So. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas defines justice as giving to everyone what is what they deserve. Right. So rendering unto each what is their due. And then he defines charity as giving to others what is due to you right so out yeah. of your just stores right you give to others and you understand that i'm doing this for x y and z reason when you talk about the campaign we're talking about really one thing like what does it mean to be generous towards the future right right it's an investment it's not uh it's not a purchase it's an mm. investment yes and that's the that's the yes, difficulty yes yes and so that's a difficulty with Doesn't, you it, yeah because you're trying to sell it 
right? Selling a future that is not yet written. Right. And uh, there's a lot of beautiful dreams that are attached to that, a chapel where maybe one day your daughter, your son will get married in, you know? Um, that's a beautiful dream to have, but it's hard for people to see it because right now it's just an empty patch of grass behind the Adoration Chapel. We're not getting rid of the Adoration Chapel. That chapel's going to stay there. We're going to build yes. a new one behind it. Or, you know, the multi-purpose building. When I think of the multi-purpose building, I think, you know, so much of the... Um, we just had seven buses, <laughs> seven <laughs> charter buses take one class of confirmation students on retreat. Yeah. Yeah. And you just think, what can we do when we rally all the troops in one room? Yeah. You know, what can we do for the kingdom of God when they have a space that makes sense? Right. And uh, the answer is we can do anything. Yes. We can do anything. Um, so, anywho, I, I, I feel like we plugged that away. Stephen, what is something very practical people can do um, if they're thinking about, like, how should people think about what's appropriate for them to give? Mm. The, the first thing is there's a lot of confusion about, like, the difference between a campaign and an appeal, mm. right? An appeal is a one-time ask where you say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to buy a new park bench and we want everyone to give a dollar and you raise, you know, $100 because 100 people gave or whatever. And that's a one-time thing. That's an appeal. A campaign, and this is why we make pledges, um, is, is bigger than that. And, and it requires more sacrificial giving. And that's why it's stretched out over a few years because you can do more. You make the commitment at the beginning, which lets us know that we can move forward, that you're all in. Um, and then you, that also allows you to make your gift more than just a one-time appeal, right? If someone comes to me today and says, Hey, Steven, um, I need, you know, uh, I don't know. We'll just throw out a number. I need $10,000 today. I'm probably going to say, no, I don't have $10,000 to give you today. But if someone's going to say, Hey, Steven, I need $10,000 over the next, you know, however many years, do you think you could make that happen. Now, I may look at that and be like, well, $10,000 is still too much for me or maybe it, I could even do more than that, but it it flips the script a little bit. It's like, how much can I do from year to year? How much can I commit to that's going to help this mission move forward? Um, and so that's kind of the difference I think in evaluating it is is not thinking of it in the short term, how is this going to hurt my pocket, but what are the possibilities of how I can budget this in so that it has a higher impact? Um, does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's interesting. For me and my family, it was like, okay, how, what do we give for the church for its or, ordinary operating, you know, the normal tithe? Offertory, yeah. The offertory, thank you. Um, and then on top of that, what can we give, even if it kind of hurts a little? Mm. Like what, What? because I want my kids to be in that chapel. Yeah. You know, I'm not building that for me. I'm building that for my kids. I'm building a new youth room or a cafetorium for my kids. And the I, you see the limiting space when you're at a VBS and you're in the school gym or you're in the fellowship hall and you're trying to like rotate people around when a building like that would get it all at once. Right. Um, and it just it's it's beautiful. The ideas, the plans, well laid out, well thought out. So I'm excited in all the wrong ways because it's 
it, it's pushing me. It is. And and one thing that I wanted that's been a good lesson for me, especially for those of us who are in our 30s and maybe our early 40s and even our late 20s, right? Yeah. When you're kind of starting to make income and these sorts of things, there's a fear in committing to a pledge if you've never done it before. Yeah. Um, but I have, I have met with some of those 300 that we talk about that were at St. Oak Ridge in the early days of this parish. And many of them who now um, have been very blessed um, in their incomes and that sort of thing and the way, you know, that God has provided through for them through their different careers. But they didn't always have that. Yeah. And many of them had the same fear that that we have had um, in making these commitments. And I've talked to some of them and some of them said, oh, my gosh, you know, there was we had we had nothing, but we still believed in this and we committed to it and we made, you know, this five-figure pledge or yeah. whatever it was um in some cases six-figure pledge and it was just like whoa like that is that's intense uh to then see how those families now 20 years later 23 years later have benefited from the sacrifices that they made over 20 years ago and when you talk to them and i would encourage you if you ever get to meet someone that was here in the early days talk to them about what it was like um, as you're making the discernment process to make a pledge because it will truly inspire you um, God loves a cheerful giver and he's going to give you back tenfold to you, whatever you give to him. So, yeah. all right, enough on the campaign. We'll have progress reports in the coming weeks and days, but any progress report today? Uh, I don't want to give a progress report. Okay. I, I, I'm not, I, I, we, I, I, I know what the progress report is in my head, mm-hmm. but, um, we're, I, we're not there yet. Yeah. Okay. So keep giving, hey. keep making your pledge. Wow. You're <sighs> yawning while I'm talking. No, it was so good. It was so good. That's where having meets are. That's where having meets. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so make your pledge. Let us know. Let us know. And let's celebrate that we're in February. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a wonderful podcast.